0: Only about 10% of all the companies who are making investments in AI are actually generating returns from these investments.
1: AI has its place, but you can't always
2: understand the why in data. Hello and welcome to Insight Story, brought to you by Kaspersky, the global cybersecurity experts. I'm Susie O'Neill, editor of Secure Futures, it's Kaspersky's magazine for business leaders. And our aim with this podcast is to give you real insight into the tech that affects your business. Each time we unpack a hot tech trend and we do it by looking at theory and practice. We talk to a specialist who can help us understand what the trend is all about, but then we also hear from someone in business who's actually using the technology. What decisions have they made? How did it go? What have the benefits been and what were the challenges? The idea is that wherever you are in the world and whatever you do, you'll have better insight into your next tech move. This time we're asking, how do you make artificial intelligence, and machine learning in particular, work for you? Now, there was a time that the phrase artificial intelligence had a slightly menacing ring to it. There was a fear that the robots were coming to take our jobs and make us redundant, or maybe they'd go rogue and take over the world. Of course, things like that have moved on. We know that using computers and technology is a positive thing. It can automate repetitive tasks or organize warehouses and production lines more efficiently. But recent headlines about things like ChatGPT and its ability to create content that sounds like it comes from a real human have definitely reignited some of those fears. The machines are almost certainly not going to take over, but using artificial intelligence, that's AI, and working together with it is probably essential to most businesses, especially if you want to keep up with the competition. It's not always easy to know the best way of integrating this tech into your organization, which is why I'm going to be talking with two expert guests about it today. But before we do that, let's get a bit of insight from our own artificial intelligence Dolly, are you there? Hello, I am Dolly, your inside assistant. How can I help you today? Fantastic. Now, we need to know more about
3: you, or rather about artificial
2: intelligence. Uh, So where did it all start?
3: The British mathematician Alan Turing started exploring ideas around machines using information to solve problems. In his 1950 paper, Computing Machinery and Intelligence, The phrase artificial intelligence was first used by American computer scientist John McCarthy at Dartmouth College in the U.S. in 1956. okay, so this isn't a new thing then. What happened next? Computers got better at processing large amounts of data using more sophisticated algorithms. An algorithm is the set of rules created for a particular calculation. In the 1980s, large amounts of money went into research to increase capacity. Computers were developed that were able to learn, using the experience gained through that improved analysis. The start of what we now call machine learning. So where are we now? We now live in the age of big data. We can collect huge amounts of information and process it quickly. Repetitive processes can be automated. Information about buyer behavior is used to target consumers more accurately. Internet users generate about 2.5 quintillion bytes of data each day. So that sounds
2: like it could be a very useful thing for businesses.
3: Yes, using artificial intelligence and machine learning can help processes become more efficient. Plus, better analysis of consumer behavior has helped sectors such as technology, banking, marketing, and entertainment. For instance, streaming service Netflix saves $1 billion per year on customer retention through its use of data. Okay, thank you very much, Dolly. And just to be clear, you're not hoping to take over my job as presenter of Insight story. No. Although I can think of more efficient ways you could do it. For instance...
2: Okay, thank you. I think it's time now to talk to our real world experts. First of all, I'm joined by Dr. Ramesh Ranawana. He's a former academic with a PhD in artificial intelligence focused on machine learning. And he's an engineer and entrepreneur, now MD of enterprise machine learning, working with businesses to use their data more profitably. He's joining us from Sri Lanka. Hello, Ramesh.
0: Oh, Wonderful to be here, Susie. Thanks for having me.
2: And to give us some concrete examples of using AI and machine learning, in this case, in the field of customer relationships, I'm also joined by Amanda Kromhout. She's founder and CEO of Truth, a boutique global loyalty consultancy, and they create and improve loyalty programs for clients, as well as helping companies use their data more strategically. She's in Cape Town, South Africa. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Susie. So, Ramesh, let's start with you. The term artificial intelligence has the robots are taking over headlines in the media. But it's now a little bit old-fashioned and not very useful, isn't it? So, what, what does AI really mean today?
0: Just the word artificial intelligence, I think, is a big misnomer on what this really is. This term was coined in the 1950s when computers first came out. And people started to imagine what computers could possibly be doing in a few years' time, and they coined this term. But really, what's going on today is something very, very different. I'll explain this from the viewpoint of an engineer. All technology, be it your Alexa, your car, your washing machine, it's all built with software. The brick and mortar of all technology is what I call algorithms. An algorithm is simply a, a bit of software where you send something in and something comes out of it. But there are certain problems which are just too hard and too wide to solve with software and this is where artificial intelligence comes in Uh, and really we are talking about one type of artificial intelligence which is machine learning and what machine learning gives you is a new way to build these algorithms so instead of a programmer having to write lines of code to say if this happens do this if this happens do that what artificial intelligence gives you is a way where if you already have data of, you know, the input to a task and the output to a task. You show it to an algorithm and the algorithm can build a new algorithm for you. That's where the game change happens.
2: So we're hearing a lot about how it helps us make those challenges of the big data world, e-commerce and video streaming sites. But what other kinds of industries are using AI that we may not hear about so often in the media?
0: Artificial intelligence at the moment is being used by just about every industry you can think of from healthcare to marketing to retail in in factories actually if you look at the largest companies the biggest brands in the world they owe their success to artificial intelligence if you look at retail you've got amazon and companies like baidu if you look at hospitality you've got booking.com airbnb companies like that and whatever industry you look at probably at the moment the largest player in the world is the company that has cracked the ai problem the best
2: So now we have these powerful tools to process data. Amanda, you spend all your time using data to help companies build better relationships with their customers, especially through loyalty programs. So what role does data play in that?
1: Oh, Susie, it's absolutely fundamental. Obviously, everything should be done on the premise that the right legislation is taken care of and respected. So different countries have very different data privacy laws and so on. But everything that touches a consumer, whether it's just information they give, whether it's the information that is acquired through their transactional behaviors or information acquired through other activities. The power of data is proven. I mean, in the industry I work in, in so many very successful brands, grocery shopping has pioneered this years and years ago. So if we think about tesco's in the uk up there tesco's club card is heralded as one of the first of its kind and and i think this that comes from over 20 years ago that they had 16 million plus or minus members at the time every quarter they used to send out the little thank you voucher with his 20 pence or his one pound 37 pence back off your next shop and with that were different vouchers of relevance to what you'd shop but no four sets of those multiple vouchers were ever the same So now we see that as a given, particularly in grocery shopping, because their data points are so vast. Every single shopping basket is full, full, full of data. And as Ramesh has touched on, that wouldn't have been possible without proper machine learning. You can't produce that kind of response mechanism to satisfy a customer's need to get the right voucher at the right time unless it's automated.
2: Is it true that a lot of these loyalty programs are moving away just from this points and voucher system? Are there other ways that AI can add value to the end customer?
1: Definitely. So I think it's almost a given you have to give some base earning on a program. Otherwise, how do you get a customer to say, sure, here's my data? It's a value exchange, right? Where we're seeing some really interesting behavioral data captured is where companies cleverly ask their members or their customers, To give them data, but not in such an overt fashion. Financial institutions do it very cleverly where they offer you financial advice and they ask you to answer questionnaires and create profiles of themselves in terms of their financial needs and their propensity to borrow or the propensity to save. And they can then be rewarded for that. So, thank you for filling in this questionnaire. Here's some extra points. But actually what the brand is doing is paying for that data insight that then creates the more perfect profile of the customer that then creates the more appropriate solution that they can sell and get a higher response rate. So it's a win-win if it's done well. Unfortunately, some companies are not doing it well because they're just hard selling. They're not actually thinking through the value proposition. And interestingly, the younger generation really understand the cost of their data. I was in a workshop with a, a bank very recently they were actually talking about their youth segment saying they want to gather this set of data, that set of data. And they said, but we'll have to pay for it. And they've already stated, well, what am I going to get for that data? Because they know it's a commodity now that is very, very powerful.
2: Right, Very interesting. And Ramesh, most businesses nowadays are providing a product or service to some kind of end customer and a single person at the end of all that communication. How is AI helping us to be more savvy about that?
0: In terms of adding value to a company, there's a wide spectrum on how well companies use these AI solutions within their organizations. And there was a recent report done by MIT in the US where they found that only about 10% of all the companies who are making investments in AI are actually generating returns from these investments. That's staggering. Because you're talking, I mean, just last year, there was about $70 billion spent in the US just on AI investments. And to think that only 10% of those companies are getting something out of it.
2: What do you think is going wrong for the 90% that are not seeing their investment back?
0: What seems to be the big problem is that how AI is perceived. Those 90% of companies who are not generating returns look at AI as solely a means of automating what they already do. But if you look at that, 10%, say the leaders within the space, these companies set up what's called organizational learning with AI, where the AI learns on its own using the data, but more importantly, the AI also learns from the people, where there's a continuous feedback loop on when the AI operates, and then people give feedback on, you know, this is working, this is not working, and the AI adapts. So those companies which which have been able to generate value from AI, have understood that AI is not something that you know, you can get running in, in a week or a month or even a year. It's a journey that takes a certain amount of time.
2: And from what you're saying then, can AI help everybody improve their jobs?
0: It all depends on how you create those interaction points with AI. If you look at it solely as a way of automating what you do now, all you're going to get out of that is reducing your cost. You're going to replace a person with, with some technology and you're really not going to get too much benefit out of that. So it's really about to generate value, you've got to create that mesh between the AI and the people within your organization where both are learning from each other. You've got to have that human in the feedback loop full automation can lead to, you know, huge disasters, because you really don't know where this technology is heading towards.
1: I just wanted to add to that, that I've recently done an interview on a loyalty discussion podcast, where I interviewed a gentleman called Dr. Shawfall Islam from the UK. He has a PhD in psychology. So he's very focused on the human behavior element of customer data, and customer loyalty programs. And his sort of leaving part was at the end of every data point is a human being we're trying to persuade to do something differently or trying to make their engagement with a brand more pleasurable or whatever it is that the ultimate objective is it's a human being so you've got to think of it exactly as Ramesh is saying around the data point and a human being and to behave more like humans rather than robots.
2: And are there some professions that are going to benefit more? Because we do hear the scare stories about automation losing jobs. But I wonder there's a lot of individuals who need to have encyclopedic knowledge like rocket scientists or surgeons. So are there particular uh, roles that would benefit more than others?
0: Absolutely. I mean, there are those jobs which are repetitive and less, less cognitive those jobs are easily automated. And that automation has been going on for the last 20, 30 years. But there are these highly specialized, highly skilled jobs. If you take the medical space, think of a a pathologist. You know, a pathologist, their job would be, you know, eight, 10 hours a day looking at slides of cells on a microscope. And, you know, uh, a pathologist told me, it's something like looking for a needle on a football field with a magnifying glass. So what AI can do is really augment and supplement how these doctors work on one side, the the AI could look at a slide and then maybe highlight certain areas of interest for the doctor so that he doesn't have to scan the entire football field. On the other side, the, the doctor could, you know, identify certain areas he thinks are suspicious and then run it through the AI. I can't see an AI like this ever replacing a doctor, but once again, what it can do is allow a doctor to be more productive. And the same thing can go into the uh, space of finance, marketing. So it's about how to build an ecosystem where both the AI and the expert can help each other.
2: And Amanda, are you seeing this shift uh, on your side with some of the companies you work for with roles changing? I'm certainly not picking up
1: the industries under threat of machines taking over jobs. It's very much, wow, the loyalty industry is exploding. So we actually need more people to make these programs make sense for the customer and the brand operating them whilst being backed up by incredibly strong AI. And and surprisingly, there's a lot of companies that aren't, you think they would be doing this in a very sophisticated, fantastic way, and it's not the case. There's still an enormous amount of work to be done in this industry to learn from the experts and real intelligence from someone like uh, Ramesh and so forth to actually almost take some of the academia into the commercial environment to make it more efficient.
2: But if we're talking to uh, maybe a smaller enterprise who really are just getting off the starting block and they haven't invested in AI at all yet, what can they do to start with to use data more impactfully?
1: Well, there's so many fantastic providers that can help. You can shop around and get a technology solution that can really help, but there's big buts the quality of the output is only as good as the quality of the input data. So if they don't have data or they don't have good data, it's difficult for any fabulous external technology provider or software provider to make sense of it. And I think as Ramesh touched on, this terrifying 10% return on investment number across, what did you say, I think 70 billion US investment I can actually really hear that and see that play out because a lot of companies want to switch a switch and in two hours make it happen. They don't actually understand. This has to be a strategic driver of your entire business.
0: I just got to build on what Amanda was talking about. It's really about your data. The first step that I would always suggest companies put in place is to build a powerful data platform. But what happens very often is that something you train today may not be relevant in a week's time, in two weeks' time, because the customers have changed, their behaviors have changed. So something that's really important to allow AI systems to be relevant on the long run is for these systems to be always continuously trained on real-time data, on up-to-date data. And for that, the companies need a framework where all the data is being collected continuously and available on a single space. There's a name for that. It's called a data lake. And then a, a second thing that I I find a lot of companies making the mistake on is they look at AI technology development in the same way as they look at software development. Software development is extremely linear. You know, you know your requirements, you build it, you test it, you do whatever bug fixes and then you deploy it, you got the benefit from the next day onwards. But with machine learning systems, it doesn't really work like that. You you got to first build your system and get it working and then you got to actually work on continuously improving it once you deploy it into the real world over a particular period of time. And that's when you will get to that point where you'll get the return. And most CEOs, like Amanda said, they, they look at this like software development where they say you come up with a plan, you design it, you build it, and you're good to go. It doesn't really work like that.
1: You know, it starts at the top. It doesn't start with the marketing executive just wanting to do this. It starts with the CEO. It starts with the board. It starts with the change makers. Another South African example, a very significant retailer called ShopRite Group, who are the biggest across Africa, they recently won the best use of data in the South African Loyalty Awards. And it shows what commitment the business has to it, what commitment the board and the CEO have to it. So you download their investor relations report. And one of the top three priorities is customer centricity and delighting the customer and then it gets translated into this phenomenal loyalty program that's winning awards that is delighting its customers.
2: So as AI isn't a plug and play option, do we need to hire new talent here like a chief AI officer for mid and large companies?
0: You do find chief data and AI officers coming into more and more companies. But but the problem is, it's only these larger companies who can afford, uh, you know, hiring the people, the infrastructure and all that available. But what I see with AI, as we see with all the technology, is that AI systems still are a bit complicated. It takes some knowledge. It takes data engineering skills, data science skills. It takes software skills. You need to know a bit about the cloud. You need to know how to build uh, this continuously evolving system. So it takes a bit to put it together. But especially over the last few years, there have been more and more tools coming out, which are, which are called you know, low-code and no-code tools which are making AI more accessible to more people now. It's becoming much more democratic. So I think the space in another five to 10 years is going to be fundamentally different from now.
2: And what do you think, Amanda? Do you think we're going to this more nimble approach or we still need to win the war on talent to get the talent inside the business?
1: I think it's both. Honestly, like Remesh talks about software as a service. So we see that a lot, which is great. So there's not this hard outlay of hard infrastructural costs. But at the end of the day, if you don't have someone within the business who knows what to do with it, you're wasting your money. I'm also a big fan of combining data with research. AI has its place, but you can't always understand the why in data. So the data often tells you what, and sometimes you have to ask the question to a human being through a survey, but why did you answer that? Why do you not do this? Why do you do that? And that can't necessarily come through purely from data, although I think it's getting better.
2: Right. So I'd like to turn to the future now. We talked a lot about where the technology is now and some of the challenges, but where do you think it's heading in the next, say, three to five years? Let's start with you, Amanda.
1: I think very much that every single touchpoint that you interact with around a brand In an app, for example, if I'm deciding to browse or I'm deciding to shut it down the minute a notification gets sent to me or things that you don't think are being tracked and things that you don't think are relevant are extremely relevant to be able to provide a much more bespoke and relevant experience. I know of brands that are starting to try and move outside of just the traditional transactional data points and into much more softer behavioral touch points I would just beg the industry not to move away from still understanding that human touch.
2: And Ramesh, what do you think is the future coming down the line for AI?
0: I think in the immediate future, it's about wider adoption and, you know, more democratisation of the use of this technology. But also, there'll be more and more personalised services being offered. We are buying things which we would have never bought before uh, because the companies are pushing them to us. I mean, Amazon recently put out a report where about 30 to 35% of their current revenue comes from their recommendation systems. Recommendations-based systems are going to become more and more powerful because they'll have a lot more data feeding into them. And then we are seeing this big change coming, especially in uh, generative AI. You've probably seen all the recent chatter about ChatGPT, you know, this new chatbot that OpenAI came out where you can actually ask a question, And this provides you with an answer like a teacher or a student or somebody would actually write it out. Especially on the language model side, understanding language, I think is going to have a huge difference in how AI is going to be applied going forward. So the whole space is still in flux. But I think the big difference that I'm expecting over the next few years is really the democratization. And companies also understanding more about the data that they have and what data they should collect and how to use that data.
2: Thank you. And as this series is called Insight Story, we always ask our guests to stare that diamond nugget of insight, that thing they wish companies should really know now today about this technology. So let's start with you, Amanda. What's your golden piece of insight?
1: Mine's got nothing to do with the technology side at all. My nugget is very deeply rooted in change management and the leaders of any company, big or small, need to understand that this it's an ultra marathon. it's not a sprint. And Ramesh, what's your golden
2: piece of insight?
0: Something I always tell CEOs and boards when I speak to them is to not look at an AI transformation as a capital expenditure. That's the way the accountants think, that's the way the board thinks, uh, you know, I'll allocate a million dollars this year and I'll start generating returns from next year. Uh, it's those companies which look at an AI transformation as an operational expense. It's got to be part of a journey and you've got to invest in the journey.
2: A big thank you to Ramesh and Amanda for giving us some real insights into the thinking behind using this powerful technology as successfully as possible. And if you're enjoying these kinds of insights, then don't forget that you can read more stories on the topics we cover in Secure Futures. It's Kaspersky's digital magazine about innovative tech for innovative leaders. We've got articles about why your business probably needs a chief AI officer, how humans and AI can team up for a better future, what to do first if you're using AI for customer experience, how AI is stopping the spread of disinformation, and how to prevent cyber attacks when you're training machine learning models. You can find the link to secure futures in the Insight Story show notes. Of course, as any technology develops, so do the possible cybersecurity risks, especially when it's becoming increasingly possible for computers to sound or behave like real people. Although it's true that AI machine learning are also helping cybersecurity professionals detect and combat cybercrime. So to find out more about how to protect your business, I'm joined by Fabio Asselini. He's head of research in Latin America for Kaspersky's global research and analysis team known as GREAT. Hi, Fabio.
4: Hi, Susie. Good to be here.
2: So what have you found out in your research about how AI is changing cybercrime?
4: Yeah, AI are in some way powering cybercriminals with interesting tools. And for some cases, they can use these tools to bypass authentication methods that we are adopting nowadays. We saw a lot of cases where cybercriminals using a picture ...of a victim and using AI tools that are open and easily accessible. We saw some cases where using this picture of your face, cybercriminal can simulate a movement of the head... ...looking for the right, looking for the left, smiling... In using these tools, they can bypass biometric authentication used by some financial institution and banking apps installed on our phone. Furthermore, we are seeing a lot of people talking about chat GPT being used by malware efforts to make a better code. Uh, The thing is, they are uh, using it for a time. It's not a surprise for us. And it could be something challenging for the future, for sure.
2: So AI is making us all smarter, but it's also making criminals smarter. So what does that mean businesses should be doing? Do they need to up their game with investing even more in
4: authentication? When we talk about authentication, yes, you have different levels. You can do the fine-tuning of such technology to identify a fraud attempt, The problem is when you do a fine tuning, sometimes you can generate a lot of false positives. I mean, you can make it difficult the life of a real person to access the system. So it's a complicated balance. You need a lot of data sets to do tests, and it can be a challenge for some companies. We saw AI technology being used by cybercriminals for some time to do automation even on our attacks and phishing attacks, they are using automation on a way to make the attack more broad and more efficient.
2: Sure. And you mentioned their data sets, and that's also a controversial point of AI because huge amounts of data are out there being trained, but it's not always compliant, is it?
4: Oh, yeah. We are seeing uh, some privacy issues with this data set. But uh, more interesting, we are seeing nowadays the rise of some popular applications, especially for end users when they try to push the user to send a picture and this picture will be processed by AI processes and show you a changed picture and so on. And we know for sure that these apps are free, but they are being used on a way to collect datasets to train AI new services. This have a privacy issue in in some areas of the world, especially in Europe with GDPR. But for such cases, the people behind the collecting of this data sometimes are setting the services on other parts of the world where they don't have privacy issues.
2: So if you're a business, it's really thinking about who you partner with to make sure that their data is compliant with the laws in the country that you're distributing in.
4: Yeah, I I think this is important, I mean, to respect the user's privacy, but uh, there is no law when you try to push users to send data (laughs) to a new and fancy application announced on social networks and users massively starting to send their pictures. And this data set will be used for AI training for sure. I think this technology has a good potential to help us in a lot of things. But unfortunately, as all new technologies that we are seeing, it can be used badly for sure.
2: Yeah, Thanks Fabio for making us put security top of mind. Thank you very much to Fabio for giving us his insight into making sure we're using this kind of technology safely. So one area humans and machines have been happily collaborating together for many years is indeed cybersecurity. And at Kaspersky, we've been in the business since 1997, supporting every type of business, from a barber in Seville to an industrial power plant in Sao Paulo. So for one cybersecurity ecosystem for all your needs, search Kaspersky Enterprise on your smart speaker or check the show notes. That's it for this edition of Insight Story, Tech Trends Unpacked, brought to you by Kaspersky. You can find this podcast on all the major platforms. Just click follow and you'll get every edition in the series. Plus, if you like what you hear, please leave us a rating and give us a review. We would love to know what you think. And it really helps people find us and get the benefits of all this useful insight. We have a go at discovering how smart energy tech can save you money, working out what digital trust really means and unblocking blockchain. We also investigate how urgent it is that you get into the metaverse and explore the wonderful world of extended reality. If you want to get ahead, you really can't afford to miss it till next time goodbye goodbye oh you're still here were you hoping i might lose my voice you know need someone to stand in at the last minute if you've enjoyed insight story kaspersky has another two great series that you might like Fast Forward by Tomorrow Unlocked explores the past, present and future of the technologies around us. Season one is out now with episodes about our robot colleagues, supermarkets of the future and more. And season two is going to drop in May with six fresh new episodes, including more about the metaverse and women in gaming. Subscribe now so you don't miss it. And if you want to hear the latest news and views from the world of cybersecurity, join Jeff Esposito in the US and David Buxton in the UK for Kaspersky Transatlantic. They chat security around current tech news and recent topics, including chat, GBT, and a fish that plays Pokemon. You'll find links to both these podcasts in our show notes.